Hello, and welcome to today's episode of The Pig in Parlor. Today is Friday, November 25th, 2021, and I am your host, Maximilian Pensord, but you can call me Max. Here in this podcast, we will explore a variety of things related to paganism. At this point, I would like to give a notice and reminder that paganism is a broad term that envelops many different pantheons and belief systems, and as such, this podcast will be focused on paganism as a whole and not on any specific branch of it. Each episode contains a short lesson on a stone or metal, a story, myth, or legend, and the segment I like to call Keeping Up with the Christians, which you will hopefully find amusing as well as informative on what the Christians are up to lately. Now since we are all busy people, we'll jump straight in with a quick ritual. This ritual is intended to join the energies of the listeners in with the energies of the host, as well as the same in reverse, as well as some basic protections for, against the ill intentions of others. I will now light the candle, and as I do so, I invite all beings of good energy and good intent into the ritual space. Humans and gods and goddesses alike, spirits and the fae, Come and join together in good nature, add to play. Come old, come young, come scarred and burned, it matters not, there's a lesson to be learned. Come in good faith, and you will be safe, but come with ill intent, and your mind shall get bent. Bring us together in storms and good weather, keep us from pain and from those who are sane. For the harm of none and the good of many, we call to the gods, and they are many. Blessed are we, so mote it be. This week, one of our most engaged and interactive listeners by the name of Kip has requested some information on a stone by the name of Obsidian. As such, today our lesson will be focusing on that. This week's lesson uses information that comes from tinyrituals.co and wikipedia.org. Obsidian is a naturally occurring glass, which forms when lava cools off quickly and with minimal crystal growth. This volcanic glass is classified as an igneous rock and is measured at a hardness of 5 to 6 on the hardness scale. Obsidian is often a deep black, but can sometimes be a blackish green and has a smooth, glassy texture. Obsidian is a powerful protective stone and will help you defend against negative energies and keep you grounded. This beautiful stone can be found all around the world, from Greece to Iceland to Mexico and more, and when its surface is used to create a mirror, it can be useful for scrying the future, as well as being useful to uh, pierce deception and reveal truth when formed into a point. Obsidian is brittle and fractures easily, having sharp edges, which were used in the past to manufacture tools and weapons. So don't be a dumbass and leave your small children unattended with what is essentially a hunk of glass. If it breaks, they could get cut very badly. Next, we have our Pagan Promotion section. Herein, I will highlight one person of interest, celebrity, or pagan-owned business per week. This week, we are taking a look at Giselle Bunchen, more commonly known as Tom Brady's wife. That's right, this week we are looking at the wife of the six-time Super Bowl winner Tom Brady, currently playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. According to information on Wikipedia, Giselle Bunchen is a Brazil model and activist. She is the 16th richest woman in the entertainment industry and has been one of the highest paid models in the world since 2001. 
She was born in 1980 in Brazil and got married to Tom Brady in 2009. In addition to this, she has been focused on social and environmental causes since the early 2000s and donated $150,000 to fight hunger in Brazil, as well as making various other donations including percentages of profits from contracts with large companies. While many people may not know much about who she is outside of her extremely famous husband, some people attribute his success to her witchcraft. According to information on Pathios.com, Tom Brady is instructed by his wife to wear crystals and perform other rituals in order to improve his chances of success. He was quoted stating that he had learned a lot from her over the years regarding the power of intention. Now personally, many people get upset about it because many fear witches or are simply really invested into American football and the thought of his success being magic makes them believe she cheated. Now, me, I don't see any reason to get upset. We all have different abilities. Some people can run faster, others can think more clearly, and yet others have the ability to manifest their desires into the mundane world. To say a bird cheated in a race for using his wings would be as laughable as a fish cheating for swimming or a jaguar cheating by running. Back to Giselle, though. From everything I can find, she uses a lot of her time and resources to help others and improve the lives of those who have little, so I think we can safely say that she meets anyone's definitions of a good person, as well as being someone we can proud ourselves on being connected to as fellow pr practitioners of the craft. The next section is on stories, myths, and legends. In this portion of the podcast... I will retell a legend, myth, or story related to the gods, magic, or anything else I feel to be paganism-related. Information for today's story comes from worldhistory.org. This story is possibly the oldest story in the world. It has to do with the birth of gods and the creation of the universe, as well as the creation of human beings. This is the Enuma Elish, the Babylonian creation story. In the beginning... There was nothing but water, swirling around in undifferentiated chaos. Out of this, the waters divided into sweet and fresh water, which came to be the god Apsu, as well as salty and bitter water, which came to be the goddess Tiamat. Now separated, these two entities had union with one another and gave birth to the younger generation of gods. Unfortunately, these younger gods were loud, and they kept the god Apsu up at night and distracted him from his work during the day. Apsu consulted his vizier named Momu, who suggested that he kill the younger gods in order to regain his peace. Apsu was frustrated, and so he decided to carry out this plan. Unbeknownst to him, the goddess Tiamat overheard his plans, and so she warned her eldest son, a god by the name of Enki, who then put Apsu to sleep and killed him. As soon as he was done, and he used the remains of Apsu in order to craft his new home. Tiamat did not intend for Enki to kill Apsu, and became enraged when this happened. She consulted the god Kingu, who then advised her to make war upon her children, the younger gods. Tiamat gives Kingu the Tablets of Destiny in reward for their advice, which gives them control over the fates, which then he wears proudly as a breastplate. After this, Tiamat, with Kingu as her champion, summons the forces of chaos in order to create eleven horrible monsters with which to destroy her children. Ea, Enki, and the rest of the younger gods 
fight against Tiamat futilely. Eventually, Marduk emerges from the younger gods with a claim that he will defeat Tiamat. Marduk then defeats Kingu and manages to kill Tiamat by shooting her with an arrow that splits her in half. From her eye poured out the water that made the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. From her corpse, Marduk crafts the heavens and the earth, and then Marduk assigns various duties to the different gods, as well as binding Tiamat's eleven creatures to his feet as trophies. Also, he took on the Tablets of Destiny from Kingu, legitimizing his rule and giving him control over the fates. After the gods have finished praising his creation in heaven and earth, he consults with Ea, the god of wisdom, and decides that he will create human beings out of the remains of whichever god instigated Tiamat into war. They decided to blame Kingu, and so he is slain, and with his blood Ea creates Lalu, the first man, to help the gods with their eternal task of maintaining order and keeping chaos at bay. Following this, Marduk organized the netherworld and sent the gods to their assigned stations. A continuation of that story from Sumeria, known as the Eridu Genesis, tells what happens next. After the gods have been given their assigned positions, with each god having a city to oversee, the humans that were created begin to become very populous. With the growth of their population, they become very noisy, and they begin to disturb the sleep of the god Enlil. As a result of this, the god Enlil sends out famine, and then drought, and then plague, in order to decimate the populations of humanity, in order to drop their numbers and make them quiet again. Every time he sent out a disaster, the god Enki would tell the people how to reverse it, and so the humans go on living as they did before, and Lil sent his disasters upon them. The gods Enlil and An make all of the other gods swear a pact not to disrupt their plans to end humanity, and then they prepare to send down a flood to wash them all away. Enki is bound by his oath, and so he cannot warn humanity to save them. Instead, he talks to himself about it while facing a wall, knowing full and well that on the other side of that wall was the Udrasura, who is both a priest and a king of a city. Upon hearing the words of the god Enki, Ziyudsura crafts a massive boat filled with animals and the seeds of mankind, which allowed humanity to continue on when the storms raged for seven days and seven nights and drowned the entire world in water. Afterwards, the gods Enlil and An felt remorseful and no longer wanted to erase humanity. Those were the Babylonian and Sumerian creation stories. They incorporate the same gods and the same stories, but due to time and erosion, each one is incomplete on its own. If you want to look more into them, go ahead and look at the links in the description of the podcast episode, as I will be putting the links to all the uh, sites and pages that I am using in this episode there. And it, these are really interesting bits of information, as some of them go on to detail how these were changed many times before they were finally utilized by the Hebrew scribes in the creation of their own creation myth. All right, now let's move on to the next segment, which I like to call Keeping Up with the Christians. In this segment, I take a look at what the Christians are doing lately and dissect it from a non-Christian's point of view. 
Now, part of this is a report on their goings-on, and part of it's just making fun of them, so I hope you enjoy it. This week, in Keeping Up with the Christians, an article on Politico.com talks about how Christians are upset because Secretary of State Anton Blinken decided to remove Nigeria from a list of countries accused of engaging in or tolerating religious persecution on Christians. The State Department claims that Nigeria no longer meets the criteria to be on the list and critics are calling it a move to appease political partners in Africa. This is causing many evangelical Christians to worry that Biden, unlike Trump, will not emphasize the plight of overseas Christians. Now, my opinion on all this is that the American government should not be worried about the plight of overseas Christians any more than they would about overseas Muslims or overseas Hindus. The specific focus of our of any specific religion's plight outside of our borders makes a laughingstock of the secular nature of the United States government. If not focusing on the plight of one specific group angers some people, then I suggest they do something about those people's problems themselves. In other news, the Westboro Baptist Church intends to picket at David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium in Kansas University in Lawrence, Kansas. They claim that their God has sent a multitude of warning signs to, from war to drought to COVID-19, and people are still unrepentant and, go, and football goes on. And so, they need to go down and tell them how sinful they are. Now, I know that not everybody likes football. I myself can take it or leave it. But honestly, the sheer commitment to drive all that way, just to stand around holding signs and pissing people off that aren't going to listen to you anyways, is quite remarkable. On the other hand, rather than spending all that time and all of those resources to complain like a group of Karens that can't find a manager, they could spend all those time and resources helping people like their supposed God supposedly did when he supposedly came down to earth to die for their sins. But what do I know? I'm just a pagan. Also, the Vatican is chiming in their two cents on a tetraplegic man who has been paralyzed from the neck down for 11 years following a traffic incident. The man has been finally given the green light for assisted suicide by the, ex by the Ethics Committee of Italy's Constitutional Court. The Vatican wants everyone to know that while they are not trying to downplay his suffering, they want the entire world to know that they cannot condone the willful taking of one's life or in the taking of another's life, and they approximate the doctor assisting suicide to murder, while also touching on the death penalty. Also, they fear that this will cause killing people to become normalized. Now, in my opinion, this is a good thing. This man has been suffering in a living hell for over a decade, and you want to try to besmirch them by claiming that your bright and fluffy God has a plan that involves him suffering all this time, and considering that this would mean that he would have to continue going on and suffering for decades more? Honestly, some people are suffering, and some cause suffering. If nothing can be done to stop the suffering or stop them from causing suffering in others, then there is no reason to force them to continue living. Finally, according to an article on ChristianHeadlines.com written on Monday, November 22nd, a 65-year-old pastor from the Bronx of New York City has pled guilty on one account of first-degree manslaughter after he ran over his separated wife in, in his car and then hacked at her with a machete back in 2019. His separated spouse suffered multiple lacerations and then later died at the hospital. Reportedly, after being separated for a little over a month, 
he attacked his wife in broad daylight right in front of the neighbors as well as their own two grandchildren who were 11 and 9 years old at the time. Now, let me repeat the first bit. He pled guilty to one count of first-degree manslaughter. According to Dictionary.com, manslaughter is defined as the killing of someone without malice. Now, I pose to you the question, how does one hit someone with their car, get out, and then strike them several times with a long-bladed weapon without any malice, with no malice at all? In any event, he is supposed to receive 23 years in prison and five more years of supervision following release, which he will probably not live to see considering that he would then be 88 years old and prison's not known for being kind. Still, I would have liked to see him convicted for murder and not for manslaughter. Well, that's it for Keeping Up with the Christians for today. Tune in next week to find out the latest Christian drama. Now it's time for the last segment, Audience Q&A. This week, I only had one new email, which was regarding the stone lesson, and so the only new question I have to answer is one which was asked last week by a listener going by Lyric. Last week I didn't have time to get to this question, so I'll be addressing it this week. Lyric writes, Max, this is Lyric from Las Vegas. First off, I would like to say I enjoyed your first episode. I was rather surprised that I did. I myself am an atheist, but I enjoyed learning about different religions. My question for you is, why are you pagan? That's it. Hope to hear more from you. Well, Lyric, to answer why I am pagan, I suppose I will have to give a little backstory on myself. I was raised in a Mormon household from a very young age. I was taught the stories and indoctrinated with the values and morals of them, and all in all, I thought of myself as a fairly righteous young man. Now, as time moved on, I started to notice that many members of the church that I belonged to were hypocrites. They lived their lives one way, and then on Sundays they would preach about the importance of living according to their gospel. In fact, every time they encountered a number member of the church, it was like they all began acting out their parts in a play. And yet if you observed them separately, they were just anybody else, lying, stealing, consuming caffeine and alcohol, each and everything they claimed to be sinful and to be avoided were the constants of their life when nobody was looking. Now, after I realized this, I had no further desire to return to that church, and having my faith shook by the realization that every role model was fake and the understanding that their absolute knowledge of right and wrong could not be trusted, I went and embarked on a mental journey of discovery at a place that is all but forgotten in the modern age, the library. I went and I read books on all sorts of different religions, from Christianity to Buddhism to the Greek gods and their stories. Finally, I came across a book on religion called Wicca. Now, I, as everyone else who was raised by a Christian, was a firm believer that magic was not real and that witches got their power from the devil and blah blah blah. Basically, I was conditioned to disbelieve magic altogether, and if I did by whatever chance believe in magic, I had to believe that it was evil. So, despite this, when I was reading the book on Wicca, I came across some basic exercises on energy manipulation, which I tried out. When I did, I immediately felt an energy as a connection that I had never felt before. As such, I ran out into the living room to share this amazing discovery with my mom. After all, I had found a book on real magic. Real magic! I mean, honestly, who wouldn't be excited? 
My mom immediately freaked out, like 11 out of 10, and immediately banned me from researching it any further. Well, as we all know, the best way to ensure something is researched is to ban the researching of it. As such, I fell deep into the rabbit hole, consuming any information I could get my hands on that had to do with the arcane, the esoteric, or simply any mention of something beyond the norm. At first, I was leery of offering worship to any gods at all, because I had the ingrained belief that I would be betraying the Christian god by doing so. But as the years passed, I came to understand that he was never really my god at all, simply a divine dictator that I never chose. Years passed, and eventually I came to call myself a pagan, because while I may have gotten my start from a book on Wicca, I cannot honestly claim any specific religion or tradition, as in my heart I am pursuing magic solely for its own sake. I have found my gods and keep them close to my heart, but outside of the label of paganism, none other fits me. That is why I am pagan. To anyone who wants to chime in, if you want to ask questions, leave a comment or suggestion or content suggestions, or even just send me a death threat because you're a butthurt Christian and you can't stand to hear me talking smack about your religion, please feel free to send them to me at paganparlor1313 at gmail.com. That's all I have for today. Thank you for tuning in to The Pagan Parlor. Again, any questions, comments, suggestions, or death threats can be sent to paganparlor1313 at gmail.com. The whole of the law shall be do as thou wilt, but harm none. Blessed be, and don't forget to blow out your candles. <laughs>